1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, Abigail tries to save her house and humbly asks David to forgive her for her husband's foolish words and turn away from his wrath. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 21. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse
2: 21. And so now we're going to actually pause here in verse 21. We're going to pause to go back in time to get a glimpse of David's mentality as he's coming up to meet Nabal before these servants found him. And his mindset is not pretty. Look at verse 21. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him, and he has requited me evil for good. So and more also do God unto the enemies of David, if I leave of all that pertained to him by the morning light, any that beep against the wall. (laughs) David was so fuming mad that he'd been verbalizing his thoughts during the trip. He's marching on the way down, and he's like... Certainly, in vain have I kept all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing is missed of all that pertains to him. He has required of me evil for good. In other words, I did the right thing for no good reason. For nothing. For nothing. Doesn't pay to do the right thing, doesn't pay to help others. Look at what it has done to me. David's not the only one to ever go through that struggle. Asaph, one of his worship leaders after he became king, went through a similar struggle. Turn to Psalm 73 with me. We read it in our scripture reading. He starts off the psalm, he starts off with the truth, because he's going to take us into the depths of bad attitude for a little bit. The truth is, truly, God is good to Israel even to such as are of a clean heart. That's the truth. Truth is this, God's always good to those whose hearts are pure towards him. I'm not good is what he's going to tell us. (laughs) And the reason I was off is because my heart wasn't pure. I was in a bad spot. I was in a dark place. He said, as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I almost went down a path that would have wrecked me spiritually. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was envious. I saw how good they had it. And he's going to go on. I'm not going to read all the verses. You can read it on your own where he talks about how good they had it and what he saw with his eyes. He said, I watched the righteous man struggle his whole life, and he goes into the grave. I watched a a wicked man be blessed his whole life, and everything's good. He's prosperous and happy, and he goes into the grave. And I came to the conclusion, what does it matter? What does it matter how you live? He said in verse 13, this was his conclusion. Truly, I have cleansed my hands in vain and washed my hands in innocency. I'm naive. I am foolish. I can't believe I bought this malarkey. Can't believe I listened to people who told me that doing the right thing and being good pays. He said, he said but I came to a place now where I'm saying if I'm gonna say that still, I would, I would be so wrong. That's so wrong. That mindset I had was so wrong. I would offend against the generation of your children. I would be stumbling others down the same path I almost stumbled down. Now, he goes back, he says, when I was trying to understand this, when I was trying to understand how this all worked out, he goes, it was too painful for me, man. It was rough until, until I did this, until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their end. It's not just about this life. You see, Asaph came to a conclusion. I don't do what's right, so good comes back to me. You know, it's interesting when you hear people, motivational speakers, philosophers talk today, and they talk about why it's you know, the right thing to do good things. Because, I mean, if you bring up the concept of, well, there's no God, you know, there's no standard or whatever, they say, well, but we're still good people, and here's why you need to do good things. And of course, you're sitting there, well, why does it matter? Well, no, no, this is why. When you do good things, good things come back to you. When you do good things, you feel good. All sorts of reasons where it's, you know, you get some kind of benefit. There's some type of legal contract that's working here, a karma type of thing, where, you know, if you do the good things, then you're better off that's a lie. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach anything about legalism. That's not why we do what's right. We don't do what's right so good things come back to us. That's the very definition of legalism. I do this and you give me heaven, God. And it's the same thing if we expect that God is required to bless us because we've been good. Asaph in Psalm 73, verse 21 says, Thus was my heart grieved. I was pricked in my reins, my very soul. It, I, it got down to the, a soulish issue. I realized something's so wrong about how I'm approaching my relationship with God. I was convicted. I was spiked. God found something in my soul that was so off. It was so wrong. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. But here's what he understood. Despite all my bad attitude, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. And you held me up by your right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. And So what does Asaph conclude? I love this. He doesn't say, ooh, I'm going to have lots of riches in heaven, or I'm going to get a hundred virgins at my disposal only. Sorry, ladies, you don't have any equivalent of that. A hundred virgins at my disposal because I've been good to Allah. Look what Asaph says in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? and There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Our motivation for doing the right thing is to please our Lord. Just like Asaph later remembered. It's because we love Jesus, right? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you want good to come back to you, keep my commandments. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. David, of course, is not quite there yet. He's back in the foolish part of Asaph's <laughs> song there. And so he is ready to take matters into his own hands. And 1 Samuel 25, verse 22, David says, So and more also do God unto the enemies of David, if I leave of all that pertains to him by the morning, light any that urinates against the wall. In other words, he says... <laughs> He says, so and more also God do unto the enemies of David if I spare anybody, any male. He doesn't plan on killing the the women, but he says, if I find a male there, anybody that stands up to pee, if I find him, I'm killing him. If I spare a single man that's with Nabal, may God ruin the rest of their lives. That's what David's saying. Yeah, he's not in a good spot right now. And God is certainly not down with this plan. He can say, God, do this or whatever. But God's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that, David. Because in a sense, isn't David becoming like Saul here? And it's into this mindset, this mindset that David has as he's marching down there with his sword strapped on, 400 guys with him. That's the mindset that Abigail connects with David into. Hey, verse 23. Verse 23. She's got her work cut out for her. And when Abigail, verse 23, saw David, she hasted and lighted off the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. And let your handmaid, I pray you, speak in your audience and hear the words of your handmaid. You ever been in a situation where someone says something and it's so wrong, so hurtful, so offensive and you've not been the one to do anything wrong in the situation and then you go home and you cry out to the Lord about it and the Lord's like, hey, you need to go make this right. You ever been there? I don't know about you, but I'm normally like, I'm sorry, I think I heard incorrectly. What what do you mean I need to go make this right? I didn't do anything wrong. There is so much character, so much humility, so much of a submissive heart toward the Lord here from Abigail, so much courage. Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. Kill me and be done with it. Leave everybody else safe. I mean, that's in essence what she's saying. She's hoping David won't do that. We'll get to that in a second. But she comes down. She takes the position of an inferior. Now David's coming to murder her entire family, all of the people that work for her. And she takes the position of an inferior. She doesn't stand her ground. She doesn't put her chin up. She falls on her face before David bows her face to the ground, right at his feet. And then she says, upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. The word iniquity means guilt, liability for wrongdoing. Let me bear the punishment for my husband's sin. It's interesting. This is not a woman who doesn't care about her husband, even though he's a jerk. She's attempting to save his life and the lives of everyone who works for him at the cost of her own life. That's what she's willing to do here. Now, she pauses at this point. That's what the colon is there for because her hope is that David won't just chop her head off or run her through. Her hope is that David won't take vengeance upon her. She hopes that he'll give her a chance to fix the situation. And so, when David doesn't kill her, she says, let your handmaid, I pray you, speak in your audience and hear the words of your handmaid. So David gives her the opportunity, verse 25. She says, Let not my Lord, I pray you, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your handmaid, did not see the young men of my Lord, whom you did send. The phrase there, let not my Lord regard this man of Belial. The, The phrase, let not regard, it's actually five words in Hebrew, and it means don't let something find a place in your heart. And that's exactly what had happened, right? Like when, when the guys came back, Hell, how'd it go? Well, David, uh, here's what Nabal said. Ooh, it was like a slam dunk right in his heart. All those words were just right there in David's heart. And they had found a home, they had set up shop. And the entire time David's thinking about it, he's just thinking, oh yeah, that's what you said. I always say, I like to keep people in a little cage in my heart every once, you know? And then I just bring them out every once, in a while, like, doo, 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 put them back in. When I'm really mad at somebody, when I'm really angry like that. Because that's what you do. You have fictional conversations with them where you put them in their place. You know, you have moments. We imagine what we're going to say, what we're going to do. You've got their part that you're bringing up in the conversation. And you're oh, yeah, and then I say this. and uh, yeah. I mean, oh. we do that. It's what David had done. Instead of guarding his heart, letting the Lord protect him, he had just opened it up and, and all that hurt and everything. He let it all in and then he let it stay there to stew and fester. And she tells him, Do not, <laughs> do not let the words of this son of Satan, son of the devil, sit in your heart. Man of Belial means Satan's man. He's a troublemaker. Nabal's his name because that's what he is. He's a fool. Folly is with them. The word there means to be senseless, disgraceful, foolish. Don't let that, the words of a fool, guide your life. Sometimes you know, the Lord can break through those moments where I'm all angry and He's just like, Well, you really I mean you, you think really poorly of this per- person's statements. Yes, I do. You, you think really poorly about the actions. Yeah, I do. They were wrong. Why do you care then? If you disagree with them that highly, then why do you place such value on them? Oh, oh, Lord, but it hurts. It's wrong. It's not fair. And every time those words come in my mind, all I see is the cross. I don't have the right to bring those words to God. I mean, I can verbalize it. He's big enough to handle it. That's not the point. And he wants us to pour our hearts out to him. But those words are not going to, he's not going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. It's not fair. Go get him." I got your back. He says, Will, you, you already know it's not fair. And that's where the wrestling begins. Will I allow that to remain festering in my heart? will I replace it with something else, something true? And that's what she tells him to do. She says, don't let that find a place in your heart. Instead, let this find its place in your heart. I, your handmaid, did not see the young men of my Lord who you did send. I was not there when your men asked for help. But as soon as I heard your men came and what my husband said, I had a different response. And I'm here to deliver it if you'll receive it verse 26. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, I love that. I'm not, my husband may be Satan's man, but I'm not Satan's woman. My Lord, as the Lord lives as a God-fearing woman and as your soul lives, seeing that the Lord has withheld you from coming to shed blood and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now let your enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be like Nabal. And now this blessing, which your handmaid has brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. She gives him two blessings here. She says, first off, I'd like to thank God for his mercy in not allowing you to kill me and all my household. And I want to ask that God make any of your enemies as dumb as my husband. And I want to give you this blessing. All this stuff you see here on these donkeys. Abigail's not a fool. She recognizes that David's plan was to take matters into his own hand. David didn't really have any intention of following the Lord at this point. She also recognizes that it's God who stepped in to keep David from doing this evil. And yet, instead of reproaching David for his hot temper, she returns the blessing he gave, because he did initially give a blessing, She returns it with one of her own. Now, Abigail could have ended the conversation there. But she has a concern, not just for peace between David and her household now. She has a concern for the rest of David's life. I don't know how she knows this, but she knows that David is destined to be in a position of authority over Nabal later on as king. And she doesn't want this to come back on them then. Look at verse 28. I pray you... Forgive the trespass of your handmaid. Remember, she didn't do anything wrong, but she took it upon herself. There's a godly woman here, a humble woman, courageous woman. Pray you, forgive. The word that means to lift off and carry away. We are guilty and we deserve a penalty, but I'm asking you to lift that guilt and that penalty off and to send it away from me. Forgive the trespass of your handmaid for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil has not been found in you all of your days. And yet a man is risen to pursue you and to seek your soul. But the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord your God. And the souls of your enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. Abigail says, listen, forgive us because I know God has something better for you than this. David, if you come and you slaughter all of us here, there's going to be a penalty for that. I know that God has a better plan for you. I don't believe you're going to stay a fugitive, David. Your character is well known. You've been a faithful captain for the Lord. I believe you're not trying to overthrow Saul like the rumors say. And so despite Saul's wrong toward you, I believe God's going to keep you safe and establish you. I love what she says here, that the soul of my Lord, David, will be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord. The phrase means that that I believe, she says, your soul, David, it is bound up in the sack of the living, is what she says. And the image is of a a man who goes on a journey, and he puts his most important belongings in a sack to keep them safe. She's saying, you're in the Lord's sack, David. He's going to protect you, and he's going to drive off all your enemies. And when that's done, I know you'll be our next king. And so her mindset is this, when that happens, I want to know that you have forgiven us and you won't seek vengeance for the wrong that we've done to you today. Look at verse 30. It shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and shall have appointed you ruler over Israel that there shall be no grief unto you nor offense of heart unto my Lord either that you have shed blood causeless or that my Lord has avenged himself. And when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember your handmaid. I love it. She says, not only will you not have grief over this situation. I'm trying to bless you now to take care of that. But I also don't want you to have an offense of the heart. The phrase here actually means a stumbling of your heart into sin. Get him, girl. I don't want that to happen to you, David. I don't want this to be grief unto you, nor a stumbling of your heart into sin, either that you shed blood causeless, you do it for no reason, which is what you're thinking about doing right now, killing a bunch of people who didn't do anything wrong to you, or to take vengeance. That would be upon Nabal. I don't want you to do either of those things, David. She didn't want David to become fearful of their loyalty later on when he became king and wiped them out. She didn't want David to become like Saul had become. Abigail may be speaking the words, but I 100% believe that the Lord is speaking to David here. Yes, Abigail is wise, and she is by far the most reasonable person in this situation. But I believe the Lord is warning David that he's about to travel down a path that Saul's already taken, a path that would be very difficult to return from if he starts down it. And I have found that God is similarly gracious with us, When we are headed down a path that dishonors him, he puts numerous speed bumps in our way to get our attention, to reason with us so we'll be reasonable and turn around. Because here's the truth. How David responds to Abigail here will determine what kind of king he's going to be even though he's not a king yet. I've heard many Christians say, well, I'm not important right now or I'm not influential and I'll make sure to behave better when I am important or influential someday. But the truth is, if you won't behave correctly now, you're not going to do it when you're in a different position. I am who I am now. Being in a different position never changes that. So here's the big question. How does David respond? Does he have a reasonable heart? We need to come back next Sunday night to find out. Because we're out of time. (laughs) So while we don't have an answer to that question yet, you can read ahead and be spoiled. In fact, I encourage you to do that. But what we can know this week is that Abigail had a reasonable heart. She humbled herself even though she did nothing wrong because she knew that's what was required to spare a ton of lives. And if David had responded with that similar reasonable heart in the first place, there wouldn't have even been this crisis. When we talk about being reasonable or having a reasonable heart, it doesn't mean leaning on your own understanding. That's a mistake. God's not saying lean on your own understanding or logic. That's being prideful but we are to be open to whatever God wants us to do, even if it means it's not fair. That is true wisdom. It's true logic. It's being reasonable because you reverence God above all else. Lord, you know us from top to bottom. You know the deepest, most Darkest parts of our hearts, the things that we've fought, the arguments we've had with people when we've been angry and wounded. You know what we've allowed to be placed within our hearts so that we become unreasonable. That your word doesn't have that in into our hearts like it needs to in these situations. So Lord, we ask that you would teach us to be like you. Who, Lord, you did so many things and subjected yourself to lots of things that weren't fair at all. You had many opportunities to stand up for yourself where you could have righted every wrong. And yet, Lord, you didn't so that more could be spared. And in the end, you went to a cross you didn't deserve to be on so that all could be saved. Lord, teach us to be like you, to have reasonable hearts that are willing to do what you say, even if it even if, well, it just seems wrong in our hearts. It seems unfair, unjust. Help us to be willing to do what's necessary, what your word tells us, that others might know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.